Welcome, everybody, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron, on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're sitting here at the quarter pole, and we're going to make an assessment on where the Giants stand. Guess what? They're one in three, and they do not look like a good team. But this episode in particular, we're going to do a lot of talking about Eli Manning, right? Because I think we've reached the breaking point here. Okay? I know Eli has his defenders out there, but the tide seems to be turning. He's just not making enough plays. Let's be fair. Let's just boil it down to that. Every game a quarterback needs to make about 8 to 12 big plays. I think we're getting about 2 or 3 from him every week. Not good enough. And the, the you know the offensive line, the offensive line, the offensive line. That's all we hear. The offensive line. I get it. The offensive line is not very good. And that contributes to it. He can't move. There's an offensive line that doesn't protect great. A lot of things that go into it. But the quarterback gets paid a ton of money in this league. It's the most influential player on the field. Their job is to hide the deficiencies. And once again, the deficiency looked like it was at quarterback against the New Orleans Saints in their 33-18 to loss. So we'll start with the bad from that. And we're going to start with Eli, okay? Not enough plays made. The Giants drive down the field on the opening drive. They score a touchdown. It wasn't anything special for me. It was really much of the same as the previous week when they had success in the first half. Real quick, short passes, uh, in-rhythm throws. That's what he can do. They were able to hit some of those early, and they drove down the field. They, they, they had a good run-pass ratio. I believe uh, it was like... Eight to eight and seven, or something like that, on the, on the opening drive. I think that's too many plays, but uh, I'll, I'll whip that up in a, in a second here. Uh, the opening drive was ten plays, so ten total plays. I think it was sort sort of like either five five or six and four. I think it was six and four, six six uh, six passes and four runs. So a pretty good split there. But after that, totally breaks down. The Giants' offense. Impotent for the rest of the game. Uh, they got some stat puffers later in the game and in, in the fourth quarter. And so Eli's final numbers again don't look terrible. 31 of 41, 255, a touchdown and no interceptions. Okay. Not terrible, but you know, a hundred of those yards come when the game's over and his inability to move and make plays is just holding this team back. He misses two wide open throws to Odell Beckham. In that first half, which could have changed a lot. And then after the second one, Beckham, it was a first down. Beckham basically almost walked off the field. He, he put his hands up. It looked like he was walking off the field and Russell Shepard just pushes him back and, and, and then redirects him towards the huddle. So obviously there's frustration there. There's frustration with this offense. They're not scoring points. That's three out of four games in today's NFL where they can't get the 20, 20. Teams are getting to 30. 22 teams have reached 30 points in a game this season. 22 out of 32 teams. The Giants, with Eli Manning as their quarterback, have not reached 30 points since the 2015 season, a span of 37 games. 37 games. I mean, they got to be more successful offensively. They have Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham with Sterling Shepard. Evan Ingram's injured right now, but those are still some serious targets. And 
it wasn't this week a matter of Eli being under constant pressure and not having time. His he had time to pass this week was 2.67 seconds, which was 18th in the league. So he wasn't getting the ball out super fast. It was the same as Mitch Trubisky, who I think, what did he throw for, five, six touchdowns? Eli's pressure percentage this week, 24.4%. That was 11th out of all quarterbacks this week. Just as a reference point, Russell Wilson, he was, he had the most pressure on him this week. 45% of his pass plays or dropbacks, he had pressure. Eli had 24.4. Matt Ryan was pressured more. He had 29%. Matt Ryan threw for 419 yards with three touchdowns and no interceptions. So this week, I don't want to hear anybody sitting here telling me, oh, he was under constant pressure. He can't make a play. Or, or, or oh, this is a, this is a common one. Or, oh, uh, you know, he, he sees it in his head because he's so used to having pressure. That's called an excuse. Okay. That's pure excuse making at that point. His job is to make plays when it's there. So this idea that, oh, oh yeah, but that, that's because his offensive line has been so bad in the past and he doesn't trust it. That doesn't matter. He's got to make plays when it's there. When it's, when the plays are there to be made. When Odell Beckham is wide open, 15, 20 yards downfield, you have to hit him. You can't fly him by 10 yards. So I made a list of where Eli stands in the quarterback pecking order in the league right now. Okay. And I got my, you know, you got your top four, Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Wentz. There's sort of like that second tier with the Cam Newtons, Russell Wilsons of the world, Pat Mahomes now, Matt Ryan, and even like the, the, the next level of the Goffs and the Cousins and the Big Ben Staffords. So basically what I came up with is Eli Manning is down in sort of the bottom half, okay? Where is he at right now? He's in the bottom 10-ish, around the 20 range, 20, 24. You could argue where exactly, but... He's in the Dak Prescott, Jameis Winston, Joe Flacco, Case Keenum, Mitch Trubisky range, right? I'm going to put all the rookie quarterbacks and C.J. Beathard below him pretty clearly. I'm not, I'm not going to say that they're better than him now. But this year, at this point, he's in the range with the Dak and the Jameis and the Ryan Tannehill and Joe Flacco. And you know what? It's just not good enough. And it's holding the Giants back. They can't sustain successful offense. They can't make enough plays. So to me, that's where you have to start with what is wrong with the Giants right now. There was some other things that to be concerned about. Pat Shermer, his lack of using timeouts at the end of the first half. There's no reason. I mean, I'm pretty sure Sean Payton sat there. Is a minute five left, second and goal, or pretty much second and goal. I think it was second and eight from like the eight. You know, maybe they could have got a first down at the inch line or something like that. And the Giants, the Saints run the ball. Minute five left. The Saints run the ball. Giants have all three timeouts. The obvious thing here is the Giants call timeout. They have Saints run one more play, and they get the ball back with about a minute left. But no, they let the clock run down. They don't use their timeouts. And so Sean Payton, the Saints coach, I'm sure he's just sitting there saying, oh, they're not using their timeout here? Fine, fine. Let's let the clock run all the way down. It ran down to, I think, 21 seconds. We'll call timeout. We'll run a play, and they won't be able to do anything when they get the ball back. So it was just a silly mistake by Pat Shermer. He had basically admitted after the game he probably should have used a timeout. He admitted the next day 
He probably should have ran Saquon Barkley more. He finished with 11 carries, uh, 10 carries, sorry. And it was a really tight game from most of the first three quarters. So these are things to be concerned about. I mean, I'm not pressing any panic button on Pratt Sherman. This is his fourth game as head coach. But there's definitely reason to be a little bit concerned. I'll give you a couple pauses before we get out of here. Uh, Landon Collins played a great game. Uh, James Betcher, he uh, did a great job. I thought defensively, they're really scrapping their way. I know they give up 33 points, but for them to do a pretty good job defensively and give up 33 points just goes to show you about the defensive coordinator and how he's handling his business so far. So I do like what I see from James Betcher. He gets just enough pressure, he does just enough things to be creative, create problems for the opposing offenses, and in the long run, that's going to benefit the Giants, especially if they could get some of their players back, Olivier Vernon, maybe this week when the Giants... Uh, go to Carolina and play the Panthers. That's a possibility that they could desperately need. So hopefully that happens. They get him back. The defense improves. You like what you see from the defense so far. They're hanging in there. They're not talented. They're sort of a ragtag bunch, but they're hanging in there. The quarterback, in my opinion, a little different story. Holding the team back. Holding the offense back. And it's over. I don't see any point where it's going to magically turn around. Not with this offensive line, not with this team, not with this system, probably not with anybody. That time has passed. It's passed. It's unfortunate. Great quarterback career, two Super Bowl rings, likely Hall of Famer, but it's pretty much over. And it definitely looks like it's over any serious success with the New York Giants. So with that, we're going to bring in our guest, take an outside look at where the Giants stand with one of ESPN's finest. And with that, on to the next one. All right. We're going to bring in our guest this week. We got the inimitable Bill Barnwell, one of ESPN's finest right here. And also a pretty well-renowned Giants fan. So he he follows the Giants probably extra close. Is that, is that fair enough to say, Bill? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I live in Manhattan. You know, I grew up as a Giants fan. I have a lot of friends who are Giants fans, so uh, I don't have a choice. I pretty much have to follow them pretty closely. And unfortunately, uh, this year, it has not been by choice that I've been following them quite closely. All right, so where do we stand, right? Let's let's go over this for a second. You're, you, you have a mm-hmm. ESPN columnist, but you, or whatever your title is, effectively, what is it, what is it officially? You consider yourself no a columnist? Idea. I have to admit, staff writer, probably. I'm staff a writer. writer. I don't know. But yeah. something like that. Staff writer, columnist, uh, expert, NFL analyst. You're big into, <laughs> you're big into analytics, right? You know, you have a very analytical view on, on a lot of stuff. You're a Giants fan. You see Dave Gettleman up there and he says, oh, some guy has a, you know, analytics and he came up with this idea and he's banging on the, he's banging on the desk, you know, with his, with his paws and saying, <laughs> uh, some guy came with this uh, idea that, you know, that you can't have a running back and has no value, right? And uh, I look at Jonathan Stewart and I see a guy with 11 years in the league and he's still mm-hmm. looks great. Okay. So you're a guy who is a giant fan with a really analytical view on things. What do you think at that point? A little nervous. i got to admit. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's one thing if you sit there and say, oh, we're not going to use numbers, and I'm Bill Belichick, and I, I've won, <laughs> you know, however many Super Bowls. You know what? I'd say, hey, Bill Belichick knows more about football than I do. I should probably just keep my mouth shut with what Bill Belichick says. And Dave Gettleman has had a lot of success with the Giants, of course, with Carolina. You don't have to listen to analytics. And I, I, I'm not saying analytics are a, a cure-all by any means, 
But you look at the teams who are winning a lot of Super Bowls, who are playing really well. Look at the Patriots. They're a team that never spends money on running backs. They, they you know, maybe they, the James White, for example, might be an exception, but they're spending money on like second-tier backs who are going to be receiving backs. They don't go out and spend the premium on that primary sort of like workhorse running back. Just not what they do. Look at the Eagles last year, a team that is very analytics-friendly. has written about it. Uh, they've written about it within their own organization. They, they've written stories about it at ESPN. They're a team that's very analytics oriented, well, they didn't spend a lot of money on running backs. They traded for Jay Ajayi. They signed the Garrett Blunt when he was cheap. Signed Darren Sproles. Uh, you know, guys Heck, who... Corey Clements, an undrafted guy that's yeah, playing a big role for them. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, and you know, like, they're not spending a lot of money on running backs. So then, so the Giants come out and they want to spend a second overall pick on Saquon Barkley. Well, hey, Saquon Barkley is a, looks like a great player. I have no issue with wanting Saquon Barkley. But... Look at Jonathan Stewart, for example, a guy who's making, what, $3 million this year to be the third spring running back on the Giants. Uh, Barkley, uh, the hope was that he was going to uh, sort of extend Eli's uh, lifespan and really really give them a sort of a a workhorse running back, take some of the pressure off the passing game. And I don't know. I mean, so far this season, there's certainly been a couple of highlight runs. I think Saquon is an incredibly talented player, but... The concern was, hey, there was not going to be the offensive infrastructure to make an expensive running back succeed the way that maybe Zeke Elliott had succeeded in Dallas. And right. I think so far this year, it's fair to say that has been the case. Right, exactly. I mean, and, and that's you know that was always the argument to be made there. And, and now we we are where we are, right? And you have Saquon Barkley, who's obviously mm-hmm. a tremendous player. I mean, you could just see every the, the first tackler. Like basically has no shot against him. I mean, that, that's that's essentially right. what happens on every play. But this is a team with deficiencies, and to me, and this is where we're go- I'm going with this podcast is the number one thing to me is the quarterback at this point. Like he's just mm-hmm. he's just not making enough plays, and it's it's reached a point where you know his potential. For success in this situation, to me, just seems like it's it's done. It's not happening. You know that that time has passed, mm-hmm. and it's time for them to move on. Right? Where do, where do you stand on this? I mean, where do where do you stand on this sort of Eli debate? I mean, you know, I, I was someone who for a long time I thought Eli was underrated uh, when the Giants brought in Ben McAdoo. I was really high on his potential in that scheme and the changes they were going to make. And we saw the short-term effect. He really extended his career at first and, and, and sort of showing, throwing shorter passes and uh, obviously adding Odell Beckham helped a lot. But, I mean, what, what excuse can you really make at this point? I mean, Eli, you know, he deserves to go out you know, in a blaze of glory, he deserves to be treated like a a future, you know, Giants Hall of Famer, uh, and all that is true. But last year, he would have said, "Okay, well, he had no no receivers, and the offensive line was absolute trash." And I'm not going to lie, the offensive line was absolute trash yeah, last year. But hey, they signed Nate Solder, they add Will Hernandez, they get Beckham back. Uh, you know, they, they lost Evan Ingram, who was a significant injury, but. Adding Saquon Barkley was supposed to sort of be the safety valve. It was supposed to be the okay. Well, we're going to take the pressure off Eli. He's not going to be in third and long as much. And then when he isn't, when they are in third and long, well, hey, Saquon's going to be there for screens, for checkdowns. He's going to make guys miss. We have Odell back. He's going to make some big plays. Uh, we don't have to have Eli throw 15 yards on field, but if he can throw seven yards and hit, hit a guy in stride, Odell might take it to the house. So, have we seen that this year? I mean, this is a, a Giants offense that. 
realistically, whether it's because Pat Shermer is, is concerned about the offensive line or or more realistically, I think, because Eli is a, a limited quarterback at this point of his career, it's a ton of short throws. Eli's completing, what, 74% of his passes, yep. some crazy number. But, you know, those passes are averaging seven yards per attempt in the NFL in 2018. That's just not enough in a league where, you know, we've had more, I think, we've had as many 400-yard passers this year as we had uh, last year over the course of the entire season. I mean, right. teams are racking up serious uh, amounts of yardage. And with the Giants, we're seeing, well, a lot of short throws. We're seeing a lot of check counts. We're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, let, let's throw it to Saquon uh, to, you know, on a swing pass and hope that he can make two guys miss. And, you know, that that's that's maybe an effective offense. Saquon's pretty good, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't see the sort of, you know, creativity, where we're seeing Eli, a guy who can, at his best, break down defenses, make smart throws, hit guys in stride. You know, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing him able to really take advantage of the weapons he has on offense. Yeah, the, the, all the numbers. Uh, you could look at the completion percentage and, uh, you know, four touchdowns to one interception and be like, oh, that's that's not bad. But if you go deeper into the numbers, I mean, they're all all pretty poor after that. You know, yards per attempt, yards mm-hmm. per completion, uh, those touchdown passes in general, I mean, we're talking about four touchdown passes is tied for last among quarterbacks who have played all four games this year. I mean, it, this is a mm-hmm. league where guys are throwing touchdown passes left and right, and they're just not putting points on the scoreboard, and it, it starts with the quarterback, in, in my opinion. And that's where this organization is in trouble moving forward. And that's the next question, right? So Bill Barnwell... Mm-hmm. This is this is sort of right up your alley, right? This is like what you like to do. You take a little hypothetical situations and you come up with, with solutions. Yes. So the Giants are where they are right now. How does this team, mm-hmm. A, maybe salvage some of this season and, B, move forward? I think you have to consider what kind of offense you want to be, what kind of team you want to be on the whole. And I think at this point, you can't really sit there and say, hey, we want Eli to throw the ball uh, you know, 40 times a game. I think he's averaging close to close to 40. I think he's at 38 or so passive times per game right now. And re- reality, you know, some of that's because they've been trailing in games, but they yeah. need to sort of uh, shorten the game. They want to run the football. They want to play good defense. And the run defense has been a major problem. I think that's something that has to improve as well. But they need to, I think, be a running and defense team in the short term with the idea that now in 2019, we're going to get our quarterback, whether it's signing someone in free agency, whether it's trading for someone, more more likely whether it's drafting a quarterback or moving up and drafting a quarterback, or maybe they give Powell Valletta a chance in December, hopefully with a, a slightly better rollout than the rollout we saw last year uh, in terms of moving on from Eli. But <laughs> I, I just think that, you know, I mean, realistically, like, like you, you can't, run your offense thinking Eli is the guy from 2008 or even 2013 or 2015. He's just not that guy anymore. And so I think you kind of have to play to, to your team's strengths. And right now, you know, Saquon Barkley is, is a strength of this team. And if, if you build your offense around play action, build your offense around the threat of Odell Beckham getting downfield for a big play and around Saquon running the football and making guys miss, I think that's a much better strategy for keeping your defense fresh, keeping your, your pass rush, which is missing some players, not 100%, keeping them fresh, and then hopefully you know shortening some games, getting a couple of big plays a game, and then using that as a way to win, because I just don't think throwing the ball 38 times a game is a way for this Giants team to really really win a lot of contests in 2018. Yeah, man, that's tough, because it's it's like, are they really built to do that? Or do you have, they have... 
Sterling Shepard, Odell mm-hmm. Beckham, and Evan Ingram as three of their their top players. And look, maybe Shepard and, and Beckham are, are decent blockers for wide receivers, but that's certainly not their strong point, right? So you have these three of dynamic course. weapons, and that definitely doesn't play towards their favor. So yeah. That is just a tough spot to be in. Uh, the Giants—they're really stuck. I mean, wh- how many how many wins do you think they could squeeze out of this season? Where, where, where are you at at this point? I think I'm around six, which is where I was before the season. You know, I, I think the NFC East might be different than I expected. You know, the Eagles aren't as good as I thought. Washington looks actually better than I expected heading into the season. Dallas, they're a team that is in sort of a similar straight in terms of they're struggling to figure out what their identity is. But, I mean, this is a a team that still has a lot of tough games to come. At Carolina this week, Philadelphia, at Atlanta, Washington, the next week for the bye, they might lose all four of those games. They they could win a couple, it's not out of the question, but wouldn't it be shocking if they were were 1-7 or 2-6 heading into this bye week and then suddenly... Uh, that's a serious problem. I mean, that, that could be a team where, at that point, we get to the bye and we know the season is basically over. And then, how do you handle Eli? How do you handle the second half of that season with a veteran team that has nothing really to play for? Yeah, that's a, that's going to be a tough spot for uh, Pat Shermer in his first year. Really uh, give him a a test, right? Say, okay, here here you go, Pat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's see what let's see what you got. Try and keep this group together. By the way, a group that completely fell apart last year, right? So <laughs> that is. Yep. Quite the task that could be ahead of Pat Shermer if that's the case, and they're sitting at the bye at one and seven or two and six. So, uh, you talked about it. You touched on it a little there. You t- talked about the NFC East. How susceptible you think mm-hmm. the Eagles are at this point? Because they're obviously the division champs, they're really the Super seen. Bowl champs, but they're sitting here at two and two. They just blew a game to the Titans, and they haven't honestly, they haven't looked very good this year. Yeah, and we're seeing sort of the seams in that in that team. We're seeing where. You know, guys like, for example, Patrick Robinson came in for the minimum last year and was great as a slot cornerback. This year, it's Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones, I believe, was responsible for that penalty on fourth down that penalty that extended that game uh, last week and ended up with Tennessee scoring the game-winning touchdown in overtime. Um, you know, we're seeing guys who, on the margins, they're receiving core pretty weak. They've had to bring in Jordan Matthews off of the street because they've had so many injuries to their receiving core. Uh, the running game has not been especially effective. Carson Wentz looks pretty good, but there's obviously still some rust after he missed, uh, you know, the, the Super Bowl and, and a chunk of this offseason period with a torn ACL. So, I mean, no, this is a team that they're, they're going to be more beatable than they were a year ago. The classic example, the classic cliche, and I believe there's some truth to it, is, you know, uh, it's different this year as, as the champion. Everyone is gunning to give you their best game. You know, everyone's thinking that we got to beat the champs. Right, and right. that wasn't the case again. Year ago, the Eagles were a surprise team. They were a seven and nine team in 2016. So, um, I think we're seeing a tough schedule. I think we're seeing a little bit of you know the guys who were kind of surprisingly very effective last year. Uh, they're either gone or they're not playing as high of a level this year. And we're seeing some injury concerns on on, on both sides of the ball there. So, uh, I think they're still the best team in the division, but. You know, if you asked me before the year, I would have said, hey, 11 and 5, probably. And right. now I'd sit there and say 9 and 7, 10 and 6. That might be enough to win the East, depending on how things break. But, uh, you know, I think they're, they're more attainable, perhaps, than they were last year. So that obviously opens the door, right? Can you even come sure. up with a dream scenario where the Giants can somehow do anything to approach that door? Do you have, do you have anything in you? Sure. What, what do you got? What do you got? Let's hear. What do I got? Let me construct a reality in which the Giants win the NFCs. I mean, you know. We're really going to the fantasy land here in this episode, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
think about it. Like, you know, you might say, okay, well, the Giants have a rookie running back to start of his first four games in the league. He's been productive. A lot of that production, granted, is on check down. It's in the fourth quarter when they're down by, by 10 or more points. But, you know, we know we can make guys miss. We know he's capable of big plays. That passing game, I don't think you guys going to be chucking the ball 20 yards downfield all the time, but still really only one gain, I believe, over 30 yards, and that's from Cody Latimer. You know, we know Odell Beckham is capable of making guys We know he's capable of taking that slant to the house for a touchdown. Hasn't happened this year. I'm, I'm, I think it's going to happen at some point. I still think Odell Beckham oh, it is will pretty happen. good. And it's a new offensive scheme. Yeah, you know, like it's a, it's a new scheme. And so maybe it's say, okay, well, you know, things click. They sort of figure out what they're doing in the scheme. Uh, you know, Pat Shermer gets a little more comfortable with his play calling, with the offensive options involved. Mike Shula, you know, improves the offensive line, and their running game was a little more effective. And then we see uh, a healthier defense to get Olivier Vernon back that improves the pass rush, which has been really effective in terms of getting pressure, right. but really bad in terms of getting sacks. Uh, second worst sack rate when they get pressure in the league so far this year. So you get Olivier Vernon back, uh, you know, you get more out of the pass rush. They're more effective given what the pressure they're getting. And we know this is a talented secondary. Start creating some takeaways, give Giants some short fields. If, he, if they just don't, they, they can just keep things close or have a slight lead into the fourth quarter. And I think Saquon can carry them over the line. I think they can hold on to that lead, which we saw in Houston. Uh, that was the game where the run defense was great. The Giants created a couple takeaways, and then they had enough to sort of hold on to that lead and finish the game. But I think it's going to be tough to keep that up week after week. So I think you, you have to hope for you know, improvement on both sides, keep the team healthy, um, get some of your stars back, and then more big plays on offense, and I think uh, more consistent run defense on defense. There you go. The path to success. <laughs> From Bill Barnwell for the Giants in 2018. We actually went there and we came up with something to give you Giants fans. Just a little shred of hope that they could salvage this 2018 season. Thanks a lot, Bill. We appreciate it. My pleasure. On to the next one. Yes, we heard from Bill Barnwell. A man much smarter than me. But then again, that's a pretty low standard. Pretty low bar for him to meet. But I'm going to try and redeem myself here. With your favorite segment, Giants After Dark. So let's get to your questions. We're going to start with one from C.M. Beckham 24. I think I've answered one of his questions before. He says, I was on board with taking a quarterback and trading Odell for picks last offseason. Can you see the Giants trading one of their surplus of offensive weapons for draft picks or taking Justin Herbert with a high draft pick this offseason? Yeah, well, here's the thing, Chris. I can see something like that happen if they decide that, okay, we have to move on here. Because the reality is, in order to get a top quarterback, the way I see it right now is, the Giants are still going to win some games. I've been saying this, and I still insist. I know they haven't looked good most weeks. They're still going to win some games. Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley are going to win them a bunch of games here. And so they end up with six, seven wins, you know, maybe even get... Super lucky and get to eight, which I don't think so, but at this point. But let's say they get six or seven wins. They're not going to be picking top five. In order to get Justin Herbert, you're going to, or if I'm even pronouncing this right, Bear. No, I don't think it is. But remember Bobby Bear, the Saints quarterback. Uh, so in order to get that quarterback, let's say there's one quarterback that everybody loves and it gets graded real high. In order for whichever team to get that quarterback, it's likely going to take a trade up. 
So there'll probably be a handful of teams looking for quarterbacks but not drafting in the top five. Because if you think about it, the worst teams pretty much aren't going to need quarterbacks this year. right? The uh, Buffalo Bills of the world, the Arizona Cardinals, they already drafted their quarterback this year. So next year, let's say they're drafting in the top five, they're going to say, okay, everybody, there's this top-rated quarterback. In order for a team to get them, what do you, we need, we need a bunch of players. We need a bunch of draft picks. What's, what are you going to pay to get this guy? And for the Giants, that's going to mean it's going to be costly and it's going to be currency. That's why this year it was better set up for them because they were already there at number two. They wouldn't have to trade or get rid of those assets that you're talking about now. But now you're right. I could see it. I could see, you know, a Sterling Shepard or Evan Ingram or something like that having to be packaged in one of those deals. And that's a valuable piece for whichever team gets him because not only is it a good player, it's a good player on a cheap rookie contract. So I don't think that's out of the question. Now, Odell, no. I, Odell just signed his new deal. He's not movable. So if that's what you were thinking specifically because you brought up his name, no. But in order for one of their other younger playmakers to be traded, if that means that's what it's going to take for them to get a quarterback, I can see that happening. I don't think that's a a terrible way to do it. All right, so K-Dog at Giants 10 Kyle asks, do you believe that the Giants actually have a legitimate number three wide receiver on this team? I'm asking because I think this is a big issue and needs to be addressed. I know Evan Ingram is out for some time and Latimer was hurt last week, but I don't think Latimer is a solid number three wide receiver. Uh, I mean, I'm not sold on Cody Latimer as a number three wide receiver either. I think he's more for a blocking, but, and Russell Shepard is just, you know, just the guy. Uh, he's a real professional receiver, but nothing special either. The thing is, I don't think the Giants need, that's not their problem here. Their problem isn't lack of weapons. Their problem is getting the ball to their weapons, allowing their weapons to make plays. They already have Odell. Sterling Shepard, who I think are two very good wide receivers to great. I mean, obviously Odell's great, and Shepard's very good. I think they have Evan Ingram, who's a really good receiving tight end. And then they have Saquon Barkley. So no, they don't need a number three wide receiver to be a a serious, ridiculous threat. I, I honestly don't think that that's even close to the case. So uh, while I don't think they have a real threat as a number three wide receiver, I also don't think it's 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 a it's something that this offense needs. All right, Lorenzo Slugworth at Slauncia asks, could you and P. Leonard NYDN Pat Leonard take out snacks in a wrestling match? Just trying to keep it light. Can't hear you answer the same miserable questions like, why can't we pass on cover two? Which is actually, ironically, a question as I'm looking at the potential questions to read here was exactly the question I read before I got to this one. So you're right. It's hard. They can't throw on cover two because they, they don't run the ball and then, you know, Eli can't make enough plays, move around and extend plays. But as for me and Pat Leonard taking out snacks, I doubt it. Even two on one. I mean, Snacks is a gigantic individual. I've never claimed to be a tough, a tough person. I am, what, 5'11", 190 pounds with at least 40 to 50 of it in the gut. So, uh, Pat Leonard, not an especially big guy. Don't see him, see him being a huge force in a fight against a 350 plus bound, uh, 350 plus pound, uh, monster. So I think that, Snacks would actually whoop the two of us together. 
actually would flick us. It's like when we went towards him, he would flick his finger and we would just fly off him. I think that's probably the more likely scenario of how that would play out. So, you know, maybe if it was like four or five media members on snacks, I think then maybe we have a chance. But two on one, no, that's a, that's a complete mismatch. That's like J.J. Watt against Chad Wheeler. Okay, you leave that you leave that there, and and it's just totally over, totally over, no chance. All right. So the next question is from. DNVR1280 at DenNever1280. Okay. I agree with you on Eli. Should get some blame. How long until KL, which is Kyla Letta, comes in? One in six? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Can we really trust Gettleman after the Stewart signing? His past few Panthers drafts have not been great either. Okay. We'll start with the Laletta part of it, right? I would be very, very surprised if the New York Giants went to Kyle Oletta anytime before December. You know, like I'm talking week 12, 13, 14, 15, something like that. Just don't, I just don't see it right now. He's a football subdivision quarterback, right? Coming from Richmond, who is serving as the third stringer right now. Okay. So that means for the most part in practice, He's taking the scout team reps. He's not even getting real reps. You know, okay, you know, the, the, the Alex Tanny, who's the backup right now, is getting with the first team offense, like the five or so reps a week or whatever, you know, whatever small portion it is. So I would be surprised if we see Kylo Letta anytime before really, really late in the season. And as far as Gettleman, I, have caution, but there's also reason for optimism, okay? His direction this offseason, definitely troubling Jonathan Stewart. Doesn't look like a great pickup. Even Patrick Omame, uh, you, you go down the line. I mean, there's a, there was definitely some questionable moves. Curtis Riley is your starting free safety. Uh, Alec Ogletree, that trade. While I have actually been, he's exceeded my expectations right now. I still don't look at him and say that's a $10 million linebacker. I mean, $10 million is like he's a top five paid linebacker in the NFL. He's not at that level. So I didn't like that move for that reason. And I still don't, even though he's still, he's a pretty, he's a solid player, smart player, guy who can read stuff. The draft looks kind of promising right now for Gettleman, even though I think it was the wrong direction to go. The actual players at the top of that draft, like BJ Hill looks like a player. Uh, Will Hernandez looks like a player. Saquon's obviously going to be a stud. Uh, and then Lorenzo Carter has potential. So the top of that draft looks somewhat promising. Uh, the, the, the worries me a little bit is that he took Sam Beal in the supplemental draft with a shoulder problem, and then he didn't last through a practice. And then uh, R.J. McIntosh had a thyro problem, and he basically had his rookie year completely wiped out. He's on uh, pup right now. And he's I'd be surprised if we see him this year, so. Not sure about that. So there's some reasons to be positive about Gettleman, some reasons to be negative. Same with Pat Shermer right now. I think I think it's somewhere in between. So JP, next question. I believe this is question five. JP at J Swag says, How long do you give it till Odell gets fed up about losing and not getting TDs and calls out QB play? Interesting question. Because if you watched that game the other day, and I went back and watched it really closely, he was looked pretty close to fed up after that second overthrow. 
by Eli when he just sailed over his head. It was a first down play. I don't know if he lost his bearings, forgot what down it was after the play, but he kind of started walking off to the sideline, put his hands in the air, and had to be edged back towards the huddle and towards the play of field by Russell Shepard. And so there's no doubt that the frustration is bubbling. Let's say that, okay? Uh, now, I do see a more polished Odell this season, this season and this year in general, where he's able to hold it together publicly and say the right things, and he really has since he's got here. Even in the spring, this summer, he's done all the right things in that regard. So I think he has crossed the bridge in that, in, in that area. Uh, so saying it publicly, I think he can keep it together as far as, you know, having his frustration just boil over where he's banging his head against the wall. Yeah, that's common if this keeps up. I mean, he wants to win. And that's the thing. Usually there's good, there's the positive and negative of this. Look, usually this is what Shermer might be faced with. You have the potential for guys to become indifferent, right? And you could see, like, Janoris Jenkins can become indifferent the second they're one and six. I could see that in a second. Odell's never going to become indifferent. He's always going to take it as if it's almost life and death. Like, that's how he approaches this. Not, uh, that's a play on words. Not, that's not to be taken literally. But he takes it really seriously. He wants to win that badly. So there is no point of indifference for him. There's no shutting it off. They'll be one in 14. And he's going to be out there going 100% and doing everything in his power. And he's going to be furious if they lose. So, I don't know about that. It'll be a tough spot the longer this goes on. But I also do think that the players are reaching a point where they know that the quarterback's holding them back. So, it'll be a very, very interesting few six or seven weeks here in the middle of the season and where this Giants team goes. Uh, Dirty Dan at Daniel Zondo asks, who wins in a foot race, Eli Manning or Mike Shula? Interesting choice of Mike Shula here, right? The offensive coordinator uh, certainly has some years on Eli Manning. Does look to be in decent shape, though. Uh, So, you know, it's probably crazy to think it, but I don't think it would be a blowout either way. I'll probably give the edge to Eli just on the fact that he's probably got, I don't know, Mike age, but let's say 10 years or so, and probably is 15 pounds lighter, but, and I don't know if Mike Shula was ever a fast runner in the first place, so, uh, who knows, who knows, but I, I, fair question though, I, I, I get, I get your point, I get, I get your point, uh, very last one here, ready, we're gonna do, I believe this is question seven, at Data Sharks. And out of Data Shark 112, Andrew, he asks, what are the key reasons the Giants have gone from a once proud franchise to a perennial laughing stock? How do you balance work and parental obligations? Okay, they're two separate questions. One is, how have they gone from a once proud franchise? I honestly think that some of the problems that are haunting the Giants internally uh, were there from the beginning. I noticed them when I first came to start covering the team. And that was, what, two years after the Super Bowl? So I think, in a way, the Super Bowl hid some of their problems. I mean, they have a lot of cooks in the kitchen in that front office. Uh, Chris Mara is an owner, yet he's thoroughly involved in personnel 
and there's other members of the Mara family involved in personnel. So that's never a good situation. I mean, that's basically what Jerry Jones gets criticized for, right? The Jones family makes personnel decisions. And while the Maras aren't the general manager, they're still lurking. You know, Chris Mara is uh, the, you know, I think his title is uh, senior president of player evaluation or something of the sort. So he has a lot of input. And uh, I don't think this is the best way to operate business with so many people involved in these decisions. And that kind of led to all these mistakes in the past. The Jerry Reese is the general manager, keeping him this long, and uh, so many uh, personnel mistakes and all this stuff. And then obviously, you know, it, it all starts at the top. And then it's it boiled over into this offseason. They hired a new coach, a new general manager, who I think they wanted. Maybe it wasn't a prerequisite, but they wanted to be on the Elon bandwagon, and then they made that move this offseason. So that has kept them in the uh, – making them a irrelevant franchise really right now, and they're not a serious contender by most people outside. Nobody outside the New York, New Jersey giant universe thought they were going to be a really good team this year, and uh, it's really made them a little bit they're, – they're, they're teetering towards irrelevant, and until you get a franchise quarterback, you kind of get stuck there. So it's a big problem. As far as work and parental obligations, to me, it's pretty simple because, look, I am dedicated to my job. I worked my butt off to get here, and I'm ne- that's never going to change. I am not the smartest guy. I'm not even. I'm not the best writer. I'm not even the best reporter. Not even close to any of those three. But I work my butt off, and I feel like I can outwork people to do a better job than them. And I still feel that way. But when you have a kid, your number one priority becomes your child. So it's a tough balance. I like to spend as when I don't, when I know I'm not going to work, I try and make sure that that time is spent doing my parenting stuff and spending time with me. For me, it's my daughter. I have a seven year old daughter. So number one priority on my priority list is handling those parental obligations. And then you keep the professional side, sort of like a close second. To me, that's how I approach it, and that's how I move forward in life. And it's worked pretty well for me. I feel like I have a great relationship with my daughter. I don't miss too much because, look, it's impossible. I have a job where the hours are not traditional, uh, so I'm going to miss some things like this Sunday. The Giants play in Charlotte. They play the Panthers. My daughter has a makeup soccer game on Sunday. I will not be there. But I booked my flight on Saturday... She also has a soccer game. This is the Sunday's a makeup game. Don't ask. That's why there's so much soccer for seven year olds. So on Saturday, I booked a late flight, a 7.30 p.m. flight. So because I knew I wanted to try and make the soccer game on Saturday because I was going to miss the soccer game on Sunday. Those are, those are the moves you got to make. And with that, that's the end of this week's Giants After Dark. If you have any questions, feel free to send it to me anytime, anytime, anywhere. On to the next one. It's time for a little Jordan on the Beat. This is the part of this episode or this podcast where I tell you what it's like to be the Giants beat writer or handle covering the New York Giants. So this is kind of like a combination of both of them, right? So these are the kind of things you have to deal with. All right, let me give you an idea. So it's the late summer day off of training camp, and I'm down at the beach with the family, and I get a text from a close family friend my boy Mikey, and he says, yo, I'm on a flight to, I was on a flight to Dallas. Why is Des Bryant coming from New York? 
You know, he, he was coming from New York. He was going from New York to Dallas. He's like, why was Dez in New York? So I'm like, hmm, interesting. Uh, I wonder if the Giants were looking into him, right? So you, you start poking around. You make some calls. Uh, I, I reach out to Rich Samini, the Jets reporter, and, you know, he also goes and he looks into it a little bit. And what I find out is eventually that, uh, no, he was not, had nothing to do with the Jets, nothing to do with the Giants. It was no workout. Des was in town for some, uh, event, right? Like, I think it was a, a 2K event, right? Some sort of, I think, I guess some esports thing. So he had made a commitment for her and he was, he was doing an appearance. So whatever. He did that, blah, blah, blah. And the funny part of the story is, that my family friend, Mikey, he says to me, he goes, uh, yeah, uh, it was crazy because it was like a 7 a.m. flight. And this is what I heard. It was like, Des, you know, no, 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 we're not interested in Des from the giant side. No, 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 we're not, we're not, we're not interested in Des. That's, that's not going to happen. You know, that's, he's out there right now. That's, that's not. Somewhere we're gonna go. We don't need. We don't need that headache. Blah 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 blah. And then I find out. Uh, Mikey says, uh, "Yeah, Des was on the flight. It was seven in the morning. You know, an early morning, first thing in the morning flight. And Des was on there. Looked like he was all banged up, eating wings. Wings at seven in the morning. So these are the kind of things you got to deal with, right? When you're a reporter." You get all these people telling you stuff, all these little things that happen to fall on your plate, and you got to look into them. And most of the time, they don't even make it out publicly, right? You just, you know, you go and you do your due diligence, and if nothing's there, nothing's there. And that's the end of it. It's kind of like somebody commented, we're taping this on Tuesday after we watched Patrick Mahomes on Monday night. And somebody commented, and they put up something, it was uh, NYG Daily, about how Ben McAdoo, you know, is the headline from somewhere where Ben McAdoo went to... Patrick Mahomes is pro day at the time. And so over like the last year or so, I found out that, you know, I've asked, you know, about the drafting of Davis Webb and who like to in the Giants organization and front office, blah, 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 this and that. And I've come to realize, okay, this is how it went down. And uh, Ben loved, loved, loved. This is very pretty well known. Patrick Mahomes. And most coaches did. That arm makes coaches go nuts. Arm and athleticism. Love them. The front office and everybody else in there, nobody else was really that high on him. So that was never going to happen, right? Ben would have loved to pick him or trade it for him, but that, nobody else in the organization was really that was sold on him. Uh, some even had uh, Davis Webb over, like Davis Webb, better than Mahomes. Uh, so that was never going to happen. But and you know, someone told me this, and I just you just keep it in your back pocket, and it, it was wasn't relevant at the time. You're never going to report it, except. When somebody puts something out like that, like NYG Daily did the other day, all of a sudden, it's like Patrick Mahomes, Ben McAdoo, they liked him, now Mahomes is blowing up. You could say, you know, that, that's it's a valid point. Now it's a valid time to, to share some of the knowledge that you have with people. So that's kind of the way it goes. I mean, I probably have the amount of useless knowledge I have in my brain right now is overflowing. I mean, you'd probably, you'd probably be impressed. You'd think I'm smart or like I, I, I know people. Or like I have, I have, I actually could provide something useful. But in reality, most of the stuff is just useless unless something happens that makes it useful. So that's what it's like to be a reporter. Now, let's get to the business of this week. Giants, Carolina Panthers, this Sunday in Charlotte. One in three Giants, 
against the two and one Carolina Panthers. Now, the Carolina Panthers are coming off a bye week. Not a bonus for the Giants. Definitely not. And another part that does not help the Giants, this is still a pretty good Carolina defense, right? 20 points per game they allow. They have five interceptions. Eight sacks in three games. So this is, these are pretty solid numbers. This is a pretty good defense. That never bodes well for the Giants. Especially with the offense in the shape it's in right now. Eli Manning, the Panthers, big zone team, right? Always been a big zone team. And guess what? The Giants struggle against. The cover two, the cover three, all these zones where you say, okay, run the ball on us. Beat us up front. Let's see if you can out-physical us. And then you can maybe hit some pass plays. You could do some play action and stuff. Can the Giants do that with consistency against a team that's built for that? I don't see it. It's hard for me to see the Giants again in this game having consistent offense. Right? They might have a drive here or there or a big play here or there. Saquon, Odell. They might explode. You know, Just put points on the board. Real quick, but can they sustain offense enough over four quarters against the Carolina Panthers? I'm not seeing it. Carolina Panthers, 19. Giants, 13. Cam Newton makes just enough plays. Look, they're going to use that tight end, and they're going to use that tight end and the running back against this Giants defense. I wouldn't even expect the Carolina Panthers wide receivers to do much of anything this game. The Panthers, that's where their offense is built around. I know Greg Olson's out. But they're going to throw it to Ian Thomas. They're going to throw it to Christian McCaffrey. And we're going to see them work the middle of the field the entire game. Because that's where the Giants are soft on defense. The middle of the field. So even Olivier Vernon, him being back potentially this week. Maybe even Eli Apple. Not enough. Giants lose 19-13 in Carolina. That means they're 1-4. Stinks. Another lost season. Disaster on the horizon. And we're stuck sitting here talking about the quarterback situation over and over and over again until not even the end of the season, until March, until April. That's where we're probably headed. I know it's depressing. I know. That's why I'm here to try and keep you entertained with something useful so we all don't lose our minds. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. Don't forget to rate this podcast, Breaking Big Blue, on iTunes. You could catch us on Google. You could get a podcaster, catch us on any Android, anywhere, and reach out to me. I love answering your questions. You know, they don't even need to be football questions. They could be life questions. They could be... Weather questions. I could pretend I'm a, a weather amateur weatherman. You name it. I'll do my best to answer it. Of course, there were some here this week that were a little off the grid. I probably can't uh, answer on any network that is uh, family-friendly like we are here at Disney. So, uh, And just Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email. You know where to reach me. Reach out anytime. I'm Jordan Ronan. This is Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.